0: morning church family. So we're in Matthew 13 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who is, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God indeed. We need the word, don't we? Well, I hope you've um, been taking up, as Ross was saying earlier, the opportunity to be tracking along with our church as we read the word. Um, If you haven't signed up for it, what I mean by that is the daily uh, reading. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, um, make sure you see Dan and, and he can, there's a little email blast. It comes right into your inbox and it's got a text and text as in scripture text. And it's really easy. You can just see it, follow along with it. And um, it's not like you're reading 18 chapters, like it's it's like half the time it's like 18 verses it feels like, but so it's, it's, I found it really helpful as we're going through Luke. Um, Yeah, we want to be people of the word. And so, um, yeah, that's, um, so we've been going through the gospel of Matthew and we've been looking at these uh, interesting stories called parables, right? Stories with intent. In other words they're not um, they're not just random little fables but they're actually there's a there's a meaning behind the parable and often they're farming parables but today we're going to be looking at uh, three little parables actually and uh, in these parables uh, Jesus reminds us of something in fact he reminds us of two things and and what I thought I'd do is actually just highlight two of them for us. He reminds us that the kingdom is better than anything. The kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, knowing Christ, having his reign in your life is better than anything. I gotta just wait till I get to that point to preach it, but I'm, I'm excited for it. I was at the bus stop this morning and there were two kids who had been partying last night. And I said, you two rotten little sinners. Why aren't you in church? Now that would have worked in the 1960s, but we don't live in that era. And so you know what I said to them, I said, I bet you guys feel pretty rotten right now, don't you? And, and here's why you feel rotten, right? Because you know you know that you're disappointed. And, and I looked at the girl and I said, I bet you you're mad at her and that's why you're texting her and blah, blah, blah. And she said, yeah. And I said, and you know how you feel right now? You know how you feel that after you've done partying and you've sobered up, but you're half sobered up now, but I said, you know, you you feel like dissatisfied, disappointed, kind of like this is it? I said, you're meant to feel that way. There's actually, you've been created and there's meaning to your life beyond just hooking up and, getting drunk and being drama out with your friends. And I know that your life is not what you want it to be right now. And I said, I know that if this is an awkward 7 a.m. bus stop with an American guy. <laughs> and, and, and she was like, oh yeah, and I said, but, and, and she said, I've never actually thought about this. I said, think about it. What are you gonna do with all of this? Is this just all that life is? You were created for something far more than this. And the guy was like, oh man, I've never never thought about these things. And I said, knowing your creator is better than any high. It's better than any hookup. It's better than any of those things that you're chasing right now because all that stuff is better than any holiday. Understand? When you feel dissatisfied, you know, this is the land of leisure, right? Australians are hedonists. And, And they are. And do you know why? I'll prove it. When... Aussies are on holiday and leisure, which is every other day. When, when they're on holiday, right? Guess what they talk about when they're on a beach holiday? Guess what they talk about? they don't say, oh, we've arrived. We've nailed it. They talk about the next holiday. Do they not? Oh, how good would it be next time the snow comes? We can go here. Dude, you're at the beach. Enjoy it. Oh, yeah, I am. But you're, you're thinking, you're scratching. Why? Because this world, nothing satisfies except Jesus. Nothing. So when you and I feel, I feel disappointed, I feel discontent, feel it. Feel it for all it's worth and let that drive you to do something about it. Go ahead and try to band aid it with, go ahead, try to band aid it with just another holiday. You know what you're going to feel? The same exact way at the end of that holiday. The kingdom of God is better. You were made by a creator who knows your deepest longings and there's satisfaction to be found in him. All of your, even your angst, all of your anxieties, all of your disappointments, everything you struggle with, the creator knows that. He knows every single little thing you're going through right now. And all those things that you feel are meant to land on him, turning to Christ. That's point number one. Point number two is that the kingdom will separate, the kingdom will bring separation and judgment. Because you know what the reality is? Some people don't see, some people, they don't see Jesus as the pearl of great price. And they won't care. And I can yell and rah, 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 and wave my hands up here till I'm blue in the face. And they'll say, eh, whatever. And they'll go on their merry way. But at the end, friend, the truth will out, just like the wheat and the tares. And at the end, there will be a great separation and a great judgment. But for now, it's a bit deceiving because like a big catch of fish, you can't really differentiate the good fish and the bad ones. You can't differentiate the wheat and the tares. We're all just sort of here in this world. And, but God knows. He knows who are his. And there is coming a great judgment. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for that? Now, I'm already doing that, so it should be good, God willing. But we need, we need the Holy Spirit's help who first illuminated this text to illuminate our hearts. So let's look to him now in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this gathering. Lord, we pray that through this thing called preaching, through the voice of a mere man, would you conduct that divine dialogue in our souls. Show us our sin, then show us the savior. We pray that you would apply the truths that we learned today to our own hearts and to our own Circumstances. Help us to see the value of the kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, about a month ago, Netflix released a film called The Dig. And it's, it's a, bless you, it's a good film. Um, it covers a story of a widow and her son um, during the, ni- the year 1939. And um, nothing's going to come up here. So, you know, I know you're used to that. That's when Dan preaches. He'd have like, you know, three, you know, he'd have like the people's names. That's just, sorry, I'm not as creative as Dan. But if you come to a cook class, then you can get benefited from that every week. So, um, but yeah, so look, uh, 1939, there's this widow and she owns this big lot of property and it's a great movie. She's got her son and there's these mounds. There's these mounds on her property and she wants to know what, what's, is there anything under these mounds? And so she hires Mr. Brown, to, who's an archaeologist, to do some digging, right? Hence the dig. And lo and behold, he, he discovers probably, uh, probably the richest archaeological find in British history. No joke. Um, it's called the Sutton Hoo, and it's 7th, 8th century of Anglo-Saxon era. It's a king, it's this whole boat, and it's like literally a treasure trove. Incredible, right? But she sort of has the, she, because she owns the property, and it's on her property, she gets to sort of decide, okay, does this stuff go to, you know, Ipswich Museum? Does this stuff get to go to the British? What, I get to decide. Because it was unearthed on her property. Now today, we, we come across a text where a fellow happens upon some treasure, right? He's digging, and and it, he discovers some hidden treasure. It's quite a tale. I mean, this is the kind of stuff they make movies about. L- because it's, it's just so rare, right? L- look, at verse, look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, we can read the parable and say, that's nice, but that's pretty unheard of, right? You might find a $50 note this week at the bus stop sitting there, or you might find some gold coins on the ground at Kohl's or Woolies, but you're probably not gonna be digging around in your backyard and all of a sudden just, whoa, unearth this huge treasure chest, right? Um, when Jesus gives this parable though, it actually wasn't that uncommon for people to bury um, their valuables into the ground. But remember, this is the day before safety deposit boxes, banks, things like that. So, particularly if you live during a time of political unrest and you were worried that, what if, what if my family and I have just to get up and leave here? Well, you don't wanna have your whole, like, bank account per se, savings account in your back pocket or in your handbag because if that thing gets pickpocketed, like, you're up the stream without a paddle, right? That, that's, that's it. You're broke. You got nothing. Or if there's a Roman garrison who happens to lay a heavy tax on you and says, oh, well, you know, if you're going to be traveling on our Roman road, after all, we'll, we'll take your gold. That'll be your tax. But you can travel on the road from here on out. Well, then you, you got nothing. That's it. And so what would you do? particularly during a time of political unrest or uncertainty, you would take a jar or you'd take some kind of a box, take some of your jewels, some of your precious metals, whatever it might be, put them in the box, bury it. And when things were a little bit more stable, you remember, hopefully, where you buried it. and you come back, you unearth it, and it's yours. Unless, of course... Someone else stumbles across it before, <laughs> before you do. And in that case, finders keepers, right? Losers weepers. And that's what we see in verse 44, right? This guy comes upon treasure. And what is it? Notice here, the kingdom of heaven's like treasure in a field. And what does he do? He sells all that he has and buys the field. Do you see that? In other words, this guy comes upon treasure and its net worth is so large so massive that even the cost of the field and everything he owns pales in comparison to that treasure. And Jesus says, that's the type of outlook of someone who's entered into my kingdom. Knowing me, Walking with me is their greatest treasure. That's the point. You know, from the time that I was 19 years old till I was 24, I had a treasure that I was trying to grab. It was this beautiful blonde named April, <laughs> right? And all I wanted to do was marry her from 19 to 24. And lo and behold, the day came the July 3rd 2005 we were married honestly the wedding day was was really idyllic it was you know friends beautiful weather all that you know the, the, the whole shebang it, it was like it's perfect really and the next morning um someone actually shouted a, a two-night stay for us at a really nice hotel awesome and the next morning we woke up and we ordered room service why not right and there we are sitting on the balcony overlooking the ocean. There's my, there's my beautiful bride. But something troubled me. And it wasn't her. As wonderful as all this is, the wedding day, her, it didn't satisfy. It didn't meet my heart's deepest longings and affections. It didn't provide that sense of contentment. In fact, you know what? You could take all that away right then and there, and I'd still have the greatest treasure in the world because I found it. It's knowing Christ. It's being satisfied in him. Now, don't get me wrong. I thanked God for my beautiful bride. I didn't say, let's get out of here. This hotel's too nice. I was grateful for those things. But none of those things ultimately satisfy. And so I want to be honest with my new bride and I'm sitting there and she could tell something's troubling me and she knows me. We were dating for five years prior to that. And so she can, she can kind of, what, what is it, you know? And I, I said, oh. So I told her, I, this, is, this is what's going on in my head right now. And do you know what she said? You jerk. I can't believe I married a scumbag like you. No, it's not. You know what's interesting? She was like, I was thinking the same thing. <gasps> As great as all this is, and she said, honey, I love you, and I'm so grateful for the day that we just had, but you don't satisfy me. You don't complete me. Only Christ does. And at the time, there was a popular song by a band named Third Day. It's a guy, he's, he tries to sound like the voice of Creed. If you don't know those references, don't worry about it. But it, it goes like, nothing compares to the greatness of knowing you, Lord. And, and at the time, I didn't have a whole lot of categories. I was 24 years old, and I was thinking what is it that i'm trying to communicate and the song which is pretty lame i said you know that song and she said yes that's exactly that's exactly what it is and both of us just stared at each other honestly and thanked god that he saved us you see to find the kingdom of heaven friend to know christ is a treasure that far outweighs anything in this world You're made to know God and be satisfied in him. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him, says Piper. And that's spot on. God is most, are you hearing that? God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Now in saying that, That is the point, right? It's the treasure. We're we're to look at this guy's behavior and and learn from that. Now, let me give you a hot tip. You you can't explore, well, you can, but I wouldn't suggest exploring every nook and cranny of a parable. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, Because you can get mixed up and confused. Like, what gives this bloke the right to own treasure that he found on someone else's property? Is that even legal? And are we at all concerned about this guy's moral character? I mean, to begin with, he's digging in someone else's field, and then he discovers this treasure, fails to mention it to the owner, by the way, buries it for himself, and then proceeds to go sell everything he has to make a profit. That sounds more like a pirate, right? He's a scallywag. Do you understand why I say we we can't explore or try to press every detail of a parable? We have to see what's on the surface, pun intended, right? There's simply too many details missing in this story. We don't know who owns the field. We don't know what kind of treasure it was. We don't know what the guy was doing there. We don't know if this act was immoral or illegal. So why are the details left out? We don't need to know. It's a parable. We're not meant to trifle with the details. We're meant to catch the main point. The kingdom is so valuable, so precious, it's worth sacrificing anything for it. That's the point. I mean, just look at the guy, how he behaves, right? He finds this fortune, and then he's willing to throw everything on the line in order to get it. And notice, notice it talks about his attitude. Do you see that there? Look in in your Bible. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He understood the worth and value of this treasure to the degree that he doesn't even hesitate to sell everything he owns in order to get it. There is nothing in this man's life that can match the value of the treasure to which he's found. Listen. The kingdom of heaven, having the saving reign of Christ in your life should be so valuable that even if you lose everything, in order to have it, it's a joyful sacrifice. It's a happy trade-off. I mean, isn't that what Paul's after in Philippians 3? Paul says in Philippians 3, he reflects upon his entire life all the good things he's done, all the kudos, right? All the accolades. And listen how he, listen how he describes it. Philippians 3 says, but whatever gain I had, you hear that? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake, listen, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul did lose a lot. He did lose all things. He lost his career. He lost his reputation. He lost the respect of his people. But you know what he's saying? I was ready to chuck all that in the bin because Christ was more precious to me at that time and now than anything. For me to depart is better. For me to live is Christ, but to die is actually gain. You know, I don't think that there's a silver bullet to the Christian life, but this sure comes close. (laughs) If I could inoculate you not with the coronavirus vaccine, but if I could actually inject this into you, I would. This idea of Christ being your all-consuming passion. Do you know why? Because if Christ is your treasure and Christ is your all-consuming passion, then following Him, knowing Him, delighting in Him, obeying Him, all those things, it's a delight. It's not a duty. I mean, look at the guy in the parable. Do you, do you think that he do you think that he goes home? Looks sort of gathers up his stuff and goes, "Oh man, I really like my Xbox. <laughs> oh, wait, what do I got to do again? Oh yeah, there's the treasure. Uh I, I guess I mean, he didn't even blink, right? Of course I'll liquidate all of these things. I gain this. He's found something so much better. And Jesus says, the people in my kingdom are just like that. They treasure me above everything, above life itself. Friend, honestly, If you're here this morning and you're listening, think about your life for a minute. Honestly, what do you value most? Where do you devote your time and your energy? How do you spend your money? Is Jesus the all-consuming passion in your life or is he just placed alongside other important things in your life? Is he your greatest priority? Is he the treasure of your life? This is so crucial for us to grasp. Satisfied in him and him alone. And you know, when you treasure something, there's an inevitable longing that you draw others' attention to it so they too can share your high regard for it. Evangelism becomes natural. You're not concerned about losing a friendship or a relationship because you, they, you're, t- you're giving them good news. <laughs> you're giving them the gospel and you want them to know Christ, the treasure that you found. So that's your posture. Oh, I'm willing to go anywhere, sell anything, do anything because I want people to know Christ because only that's, a, that, like, that's why I'm sitting there at that bus stop. But those kids, I want them to know Christ, the all-satisfying treasure. This is so important for us to get. I reckon, honestly, if I could inject this into even just, like, a percentage of this church, it would radically reform our church. This idea. Massive. In fact, it's so important that Jesus even repeats it. (laughs) Right? Twin parable, if you want to say it maybe a little nuance, but it's the pearl of great price, right? It's it's treasure, it's a pearl. Well, look, look at verse 45. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went, same idea, and sold all that he has to get it. So here's this merchant, and he's on a quest for the best, right? And then, lo and behold, he found it. He finds the best. He discovers the most perfect pearl he's ever seen. But it's going to cost him the sum total of all of his assets. (laughs) Did you catch that there too? You can't have your cake and eat it too, have you heard that expression? In other words, to get the pearl, he he probably had other pearls. He's a merchant, he's looking for pearls. There's probably some really good pearls that he had, but he's got to just liquidate them in order to get The pearl of great price. And so he doesn't even blink. He liquidates his assets like that because the value of just one pearl eclipses all the others put together. It's the pearl of great price. The kingdom is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade off. So says Ray Miller. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world offers today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than the lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than the honey out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. but not everyone sees it that way, do they? We live in a very mixed world where people don't value the kingdom. They didn't value the kingdom then. They didn't value the kingdom now. And just like weeds and wheat, Jesus shows that the world will remain divided until the very end, which leads us to our last parable. Verse 37, the kingdom will bring separation and judgment. The kingdom will bring separation and judgment. Look at verse 34. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. Now now remember, these guys are fishermen, right? So, so they're well acquainted with fishing parables. This is like talking to Nigel and saying, the kingdom of heaven is like the Super Bowl <laughs> where people deflate their footballs and they throw them and he'd be like, don't talk about my Brady like that or whatever, right? So they're very familiar with this idea of fishing. So that's, that's what we're talking about. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. Okay, so like a dragnet, right? Um, in the Sea of Galilee, you had about 20, still, I guess, 20 species of fish. Most of them could be edible. Um, now, if you were a fisherman back then, I know, Reynard, you liked to fish, obviously, but if you are a fisherman back then, you wouldn't go out with a single pole just trying to hope you can snag a couple fish, at least if you want to make a decent living out of it. It might be a hobby, but if you want to make a living out of it, you need to have more than just like two pieces of fish to sell at the market. So what would you do? You'd go out with several guys, and you'd use what's called a dragnet. And this was a large net uh, that could be stretched between two boats, and as you went along, basically everything in its path would be caught, right? So you put your two boats, big net, you go along and it catches all these fish. And then you tug it to shore. And that's where then you can separate. Good fish, bad fish. Ooh, this fish is actually poisonous. This fish is too small, chuck it. This is a great fish, this will sell, right? Disciples have been familiar with this. Like, yes, 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 we know all these things, Jesus. But it's not just like, wow, what a nice, that was like a nice Moby Dick story about fish, a big fish. Now there's, there's a, he, he drives home this big thrusting point to it, right? He says, like that happens, and you fishermen know, you can picture them nodding their heads, just like that, in the very end, there's going to be a final separation, a day of judgment. Look at verse 49. So, it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How does that sit with you when I read that? Just curious. Pretty heavy. Did you hear it? Weeping, gnashing of teeth, judgment, you know, the, con, the concept of like an end times judgment in the 21st century, it's a bit sneered at, right? I mean, the only people that get switched on about this are backwood preachers sc- screaming and yelling at a poor congregation, who, trying to scare them into hell or something like that, right? I mean, and we even have a label for those kind of guys. We call them fire and brimstone preachers. But us civilized folks, we don't want to think about. We don't think about these crazy judgment, fire, screaming teeth. That's ugh. That's weird. We've moved beyond that too, by the way. Have a coffee. Enjoy Boca Beach today. We've moved beyond those things. Yet Jesus hasn't. <laughs> it's actually part of one of the main things he talks about, doesn't it? Jesus hasn't moved past that. Jesus is completely switched on. He. He's, he, he and, and here's the thing too. I don't have to yell and scream and shout and, and frighten anybody to just point to it and say, and just, just read it for yourself. There is coming a final day of judgment. As Philippians says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So again, I, I, you know, I don't need to be the backwoods preacher screaming and shouting and yelling. I don't need to do those things to you, but I could ask you, in fact, I will ask you, are you going to do it that day I mean what are you going to do it says they're the wicked and the righteous well no one's wicked in here right no one's I mean that's why we're in church we're the righteous people right no one is righteous no what not one did you hear that no one seeks for God, no one does good, no, not one. But Jesus just said only the righteous ones are the ones that get to go to heaven and I'm not righteous. So how does that work out? Well, I mean, you might be better than your neighbor, right? You might be better than you know some of your friends that went off the rails. In Jesus' eyes, you're not righteous. Do you know what the Bible says our righteousness is like? My righteousness, your righteousness? The Bible said, is this like a filthy rag in God's sight? Did you hear that? Without being crude, they didn't have a lot of the hygienics that we have today. So there's your life. Here's my righteousness, like a filthy rag in God's sight. Even your best day, tainted with sin, so what are you going to do? The day of judgment's coming. Turn to Jesus. Place your faith in him. Jesus who never sinned, who lived a life of perfect obedience. When you place your faith in him, listen. It's not, you know, my my son asked me this, actually. He said this the other day. He goes, he goes, Dad, wouldn't it have been cool if Adam and Eve never ate the fruit because we wouldn't be dealing with all this. I said, yeah, to a point. But there's a difference of being able to stand in God's presence, right, without sin, and actually having the righteousness of Jesus. Do you see, do you see the difference? Without sin, great. But having God look at You, as if you lived Jesus's perfect life of obedience, was tempted in every way yet without sin, that is what faith in Christ does. When you place your faith in Jesus, all of your sin transferred to him, all of his righteousness given to you, like a jumper you wear it, so that when you stand in God's sight, you're not looked at as evil or wicked or someone that struggles with pornography or homosexuality or screaming at your kids or being all the other things that this world has taint as we've seen, but you're counted righteous in Jesus Christ. By his stripes you're healed and the righteousness of Jesus is yours forever. That is good news. That's a treasure. I hope that message never gets old that, that's that, if you treasure that, that message, you're wanting to treasure not just the idea of it or the concept of it, because some of you grew up in this church, and maybe you've heard some of those concepts before. Maybe you haven't, but some of you heard those concepts. The concept, it's, it's a, it's a great concept, the A O N Galleon, right, the, the gospel, good news, that's a good concept, but it's, it's, it's the person, it's Christ, The message is the good news which brings you to Jesus. You know, one of the things that we think about when we die is the idea of, I wonder what heaven's going to be like. Is it going to be the pearly gates? Is it going to be the streets of gold? Is it going to be this? Am I going to have endless sausage rolls or whatever, you know? whatever your favorite food is. Do you know what makes heaven, heaven? Is that you get God. You're with your creator forever to enjoy him, worship him. That's what makes heaven, heaven. And that you would have never, ever, I mean, just this, this alone, I feel like I could sit on an eternity. There's no reason for me to be here in this place except if the Lord had not granted me faith and forgiven my sin. Why me? <laughs> no idea. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. That's a treasure and I will treasure you forever. You see, the kingdom is like a treasure and the kingdom will ultimately separate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, for some, this idea of satisfaction in you, I can imagine is, well, I would guess, Lord, it's a new, it's a new concept. Maybe some even here think they know it, but, but Lord, it's, it's, it's a well that runs so deep. So Lord, would you, as I was even just saying, Lord, and just now, I, I pray that we'd get a vision of the majesty of Christ, your Son, and that that would color the rest of our thinking, that our, our, our hearts, our deepest affections would, would only find their satisfaction in you. Lord, for those that are here that maybe this is sounding like a completely different religion to what they grew up in, thank you for that, Lord. Help them to see the truth and to turn to it. Help them to see you as the all-satisfying Christ. Again, we thank you for this time. We pray now that as we contemplate and think about your life in our place, your death, your resurrection, may we just sit in that space now with thankful hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I always recommend books, but a book that